welcome to our Halloween edition of Stories of Strange Women. We're your hosts. I'm Tanya Hurley. And I'm Tracy Hurley-Martin. And today we're talking about one of uh, my favorite topics, Shirley, the writer Shirley Jackson. As we treaters walk by the window. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Um, Shirley Jackson, the author of the popular short story, The Lottery, which was published in The New Yorker, she enjoyed success. Um, largely because of that short story mm-hmm. in the 40s and 50s but then she still being taught in school right that, yeah that short and then she fell into obscurity for a while um and she's enjoying this revival due to biography shirley jackson a rather haunted life and mm-hmm. our guest today is ruth franklin the author of that biography but also because the authors and especially in the horror community like stephen king who who devoted almost a whole chapter or a whole his book dance macabre to shirley jackson um and said that haunting of hill house her horror book was the perfect ghost story which i happen to agree with mm-hmm. <laughs> and other writers like neil gaiman and people like that are coming her her due finally yeah she's she's an important literary yeah figure. absolutely yeah not just in her horror writing her she wrote a lot of um short stories for women's magazines like good housekeeping and mm-hmm. gave kind of view of domestic life yeah i mean she she did a lot of cartoons as well Mm -hmm. i mean like with a with a woman standing over her husband with a chainsaw (laughs) and you know she found she so relate horror you know the only writer i can really relate yeah she really ripped it up yeah Yeah. i mean it both the comic you know in her short stories domestic life and then horror she dealt out with domestic life and and it's it's incredible yeah so she, she she Ruth Franklin today, the author of her biography. Yeah, and Ruth is a, a recipient of, she's so accomplished as well, <laughs> a recipient of the Guggenheim Fellowship, a recipient of the Coleman Public Library. She is a, this this biography won the National Book Critics Award in 2016 for biography. Um, Ruth is a former editor of the New she is a book critic for the New Yorker and Harper's Bazaar and and the New Republic, among many others. And check her out on RuthFranklin.net, and you can find out all of her and pick up uh, her book, a rather haunted life, and you'll see why everybody's saying that it's this is the revival. Yeah, this is the definitive book on Shirley Jackson, yeah. and also the audiobook is incredible as well. I listened to that yeah. too. I mean, she came across all this. I mean, they're... yeah, and and personal letters she she had access to in the FBI files. Yeah, all um, of her children. Yeah, and and, and she that she spent six years writing this book and um, went through all at the Library and of it, Congress. It just beautifully weaves Shirley Jackson what's going on in her life at the time um, that she's writing a particular piece and and what's influencing her and her, you know and her mental health and um, yeah all of it so it is incredible it's mm-hmm. an incredibly epic biography yeah and all be all <laughs> yeah um but it was fun it was cool when um ruth came to do the interview there was something i really wanted to bring to show you guys and she said but i forgot it at home and and she said it's the i have a little bit of some of the ashes of shirley jackson some shirley jackson ashes yeah that was <laughs> that there that the her 
to lockets. Yeah. And she hands out to people who do write about Shirley. Write about her mother in, yeah. in, in this, you know, most wonderful yeah. way. Yeah. To so, remember her. Yeah. To that remember her. Yeah. It was, I would love to. That's so cool. But anyway, without further ado, let's get to the conversation. Um, the author, the bi- Shirley Jackson biographer and the author of Shirley Jackson, A Rather Haunted Life, Ruth Franklin. So tell us a little bit about how you started your journey uh, writing this book, because you're a book critic, correct? So tell us, um, and how did you start this journey? What what made you want to sp- dedicate? years of your life um to, to Shirley write, Jackson yeah, to, to write this book yeah you know it's hard to answer the question because I feel like I don't even know the mo- they, I can't pinpoint the moment I started on the journey because Shirley Jackson just was one of the always there in the background for me I, I don't have a distinct memory of reading the lottery or the haunting of hell house and it's, it's like I always knew them somehow mm-hmm. um they just were really um just kind of foundational books for And as I, um, as I became a critic, I got frustrated sometimes with the feeling that, um, you know, with with not being able to talk to writers about their process, I often felt like I had so many questions about the books that I was reviewing and so little, you know, that there was this kind of barrier uh, put up between, um, me and like any kind of research or reporting that I might do about it. And uh, you're, I'm sure you're thinking, well, you can't ask creative process either but it just that was part of how I came to realize that I, I wanted to write a biography because I'm just so interested in what goes into how people create the works that they do and you know just find their inspiration and how it happens that this particular person writes this particular text and so it just happened that as I started thinking about this um, that Library of America collection writings came out and it was the first time obviously I, I knew the um, the classic stuff but it was the first time that I'd seen the writing her writings about her life as a mother and mm-hmm. that was what really um, and especially that story about the you know the one she calls the third baby's the easiest about mm-hmm. <laughs> checking into the hospital to deliver her child and the clerk asks for occupation and she says writer and the clerk says I'll put down housewife Reading that really made me feel like Shirley, I, I realized that Shirley Jackson was a writer of a dimension that I hadn't understood before, mm-hmm. and that that was the story that I really wanted to tell about her. But even uh, as much as things have changed, and um, you as a mother of three, correct? I mean, did you That's did, right. <laughs> you did you relate to her on that level? That absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Things have changed a lot mm-hmm. in important ways, and then but subtle and less subtle ways in which they haven't right? yeah and it, yeah it definitely that that piece and Jackson's autobiographical writing in general I think arrived for me at a time I had two who were very close in age and it arrived at a time when I kind of needed to hear her perspective yeah I feel like I need to hear her perspective today more than you know more than ever more than I, I'm, I'm fascinated with her level more yeah. so maybe that's because I'm a mom and I'm you know around the age you know that she passed and you know things are like her her orgorophobia and things like that and it just I can 
relatable as an outsider. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also the way she writes about her children, I mean, first of all, I love it because it's so, it's so funny, but it's also so unsentimentalized and you really have the sense of them as real people Mm -hmm. and, you know, not trying to make them into something that, that, that they don't want to be. She accepts them for all their, their quirks and their craziness and and she loves them Mm -hmm. for their craziness. Um, but also, you know, how she was kind of neglectful, you know, she wakes up, there's this one story where she wakes up in the morning, um, none of the kids are in the house, she has no idea where they are, (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, if that happened to us, child services would be our doors. Well, when she had the last, the fourth child, she just handed, handed him over to, it was a Joanne, I think, and Joanne, said he's yours. Yes. So, the, so the story goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think in reality she was attached to him, but yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how she liked to depict herself as very hands off. You know, well, I, I can't believe. I mean, I can't imagine um, producing the amount of work that she did, the level of productivity. Yeah, and, and being a mother to four, and also you know her having the house and having all those responsibilities and her husband who was demanding, you know, and uh, expected that of her, how, you know, how she could be, what kind of mother be, you know what I mean? I, I, yeah, you'd have to be pretty hands off. Yeah. I mean, there was, there's only a certain amount of time and you got to meet her children, correct? Yes. I spent a pretty, a nice amount of time with each of them. Wow. That's pretty amazing. I mean, what, what was that experience like? It was really interesting. I mean, it's always, I think there are always challenges in the relationship of a biographer to the subject's children because the relationship is just, it's going to be kind of, and, you know, there are all kinds of expectations that come into it from both sides. Mm-hmm. And especially because, you know, I, I think it's it's a difficult idea for the children of a writer to that like their their mother's biographer might know some things about her better than they do because for instance like Jackson's papers were all sent to the Library of Congress I believe pretty soon after her death but in any event didn't have a chance to go through them first wow, nobody went through them and organized them and they they were just sent so there are many many things there that her children haven't seen because you know I think again if they lived in Washington they probably would be there all the time but they don't, and, you know, two of them are in California and two are near Bennington, where they grew up. And so there's just lots of letters and diaries and even unpublished manuscripts that they simply hadn't seen. And I think one of the whole process for them was that it did spur them to go back into her archive and um, publish all the stories that appeared in Let Me Tell You, the book mm-hmm. that came out a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I, I it, it being in process spurred them to go back and look for stuff that that they hadn't I guess hadn't thought about in years wow but yeah it's a, a, a Stacy Schiff um, the biographer tells uh, told me a, um, the intimacy that the biographer develops with the family um, that uh, when she was uh, working on her book about Vera Nabokov Nabokov's wife um, her son Dimitri would do things like call when his aunt's birthday was. <laughs> because, and, you know, in a way, yeah. he become the, the keeper. The source. The keeper of the memories. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Did, do, now, did, did you find their personalities match? Jackson, 
how Jackson explained them in her work and, you know, Joanne being the kind of debutante kind of daughter and... Not really. No? I mean, I think... Is she in She's not. Oh, okay. She's in Vermont, actually, and and she's certainly the opposite of that now. She's Uh very, very down-to-earth, and she has very short, bright blue hair. Oh, wow. And, um... And she's she's lovely. Uh, I think you know, in some ways, Jackson, you know, drew out those aspects of their personalities for comic effect and mm-hmm. to make a good story. And yeah, I think a lot, of, but a lot of us. I think you know, it's interesting that two of them are in California and two of them. Are I agree. Uh, split. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's equally split. Yeah. Um, speaking of equally split, I, I found it really interesting that um, when she was, you know, a teenager in California, you know, we have to talk about her relationship with her mother and, and all of that, of course, <laughs> yeah. but um, how she kept multiple diaries. And it's almost like she was crafting multiple personalities to that's survive. Right. Yeah, I think that's so. Yeah, um, that's the, yeah. yeah, and her work, like the comic, you know, good housekeeping work versus the horror, mm-hmm. you know, the horror. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that was one of the first things I found in the research process because you're writing a biography, what are you going to start with but the diaries? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, mildly disappointing to find that the, many of the teenage diaries weren't very interesting and were filled with, you know, all this, oh boy, I went to the movie got a bad grade on my trig exam kind of mm-hmm. stuff although I, I, I mean again I wouldn't say it wasn't interesting all of it when you're in the the thick of that process it really is like falling in love and everything is fascinating and I was, I was riveted by like every scrap of information I got but then when I found that there was this other diary that was in the part of the trickiness of Jackson's archive is that um, it has Parts that were our arbitrary divisions based on when stuff was deposited, but there was a huge a, a, a part one um, that was available to Judy Oppenheimer, Jackson's first biographer, and then there was this part two that was deposited, and so there was a lot of stuff in part two that had not been in the first biography that I was discovering for the first time, and one of those things was this strange little notepad um, that had literally on. The a picture of an elegant young lady captioned the debutante and somebody had taken a piece of a pencil and scratched out the woman's face <laughs> and you know when I saw that it was another of these you know sometimes you have these little these moments you know a scene in a story or a little find like that that you feel just embodies something says everything yeah the person in that definitely was one of those moments for me yeah I'm yeah, surprised that, that wasn't the cover of the book <laughs> Yeah, we didn't even reproduce it in the book. Yeah. That's a shame, actually. Yeah, that, you should put that out. I should put it on my website. Yeah. But, um, and yeah, in that diary, it was all written in the form of letters to a, a, a fictitious friend, basically. The boy actually existed, but they didn't have a relationship. And Shirley had sort of dramatically constructed a persona for him as well as for her. And, you know, it, I feel like that's also illuminating considering her interest in letters generally she was a huge letter writer and wrote letters about once a month for her entire life to her parents oh yeah Um, you know they're always dressed addressed to mom to her mother Mm -hmm. you know stuff about her you know mostly stuff about her household but also about her 
literary activities. Um, and that was such an important part of her writing. And then um, her letters. I'm in during the summers when they were in college together, but separated during the summer. These letters are just incredible. Mm -hmm. So, like, so smart and funny and also kind of devastating because Stanley talks in a very kind of open and hurtful way. And the letters uh, yeah. that were never sent. And the letters that were never she sent. Was, she yeah. worked through her mm -hmm. her issues letter writing. Exactly, yeah. And then I found this whole other cache of letters in a barn in Pennsylvania um, that turned out to be um, letters she had written to a woman who was basically her pen pal in the early 1960s during the period when she was working on We've Always Lived in the Castle. She struck up this very intimate epistolary friendship with a housewife from Baltimore wow. who she never actually met, um, but sent about 60 pages of letters in the course of a year and a half or so. Wow. Yeah. And um, it was, I, I thought it was quite sad because they had built up this really intimate relationship, letter writing, and how... Uh, letters were going unanswered after a while and it was I don't know to me she sort of never found anybody that was going to be that intimate you know in the long haul um supportive that friend passionate exactly. or that yeah I yeah. mean from her childhood but certainly well I just find life. it too her the dedication to her mother after how treated you know and raised and you know I, I just feel like her the way she you know would keep her mother in the loop and there was no anger and there was no you know there was no why did you ever say that to me call me that or don't you believe in me kind of you know things it was more can you explain a little bit about her relationship with her mother I think it was very constructed yeah um and you know as I hear you saying these things I'm picturing like letters why did you say that cruel thing to me why do you expect me to do all the work in our relationship and of yeah. course it's it's unimaginable because that her, her Shirley's mother um, Geraldine was it seems a very formal was wore her her suit and her pearls and had her hair perfectly done and she expected Shirley to be in her mold and if I think it obviously was clear very early on that that wasn't going to happen and for it and you know it's like I said before about um, I think one of the great things about her as a mother is how she accepted her children on their own terms and that's something that her own mother certainly did not give mm -hmm. her it, it's it's sad it was I felt like during the course of the research there were a number of things I found that made me you know deeply sad and feel extremely sympathetic for Jackson and certainly the most emotional of those was reading her mother's letters because one at a time, they're maybe only a little, you know, they're passive aggressive or they yeah. have little needling statements, but then taken cumulatively. And you imagine receiving over the course of your entire lifetime, it made me realize no wonder when she had agoraphobia, she was afraid to go to the post office. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, people said that it was because of all the hate mail she received about the lottery, which she also 
receiving until the end of her life. Although I would, as I said in the book, I don't really, most of it wasn't really hate mail. It was letters, curiosity letters Mm -hmm. asking what it meant. But I think she was afraid to open letters and, you know, see things like, you look so fat in your picture in Time magazine oh, next, to your, next to your fabulous review of We've Always Lived in the Castle, which I didn't bother reading or saying anything about. Yeah. So, just so cruel. She, I mean, it, it's cruel. That's the exact word. I mean, it just... Emotionally abused, and then yeah. you wonder how she ends up with a husband who cheats on her and, uh, you know, and yeah. it, it says I'm going for the rest of our marriage yeah, like she and was she's, that's the all she knew she, how to be treated exactly, like yeah. that's what she grew exactly. up with she was primed for that kind yeah. of relationship I think yeah it's, it's, it's heartbreaking really yeah she was a product her mother told her she was a product of a failed abortion and I mean how do you you know move on from that I don't that's just amazing to me I think her mother really I think her mother was a person mm-hmm. and just a very cruel passive, <laughs> passive aggressive and cruel person and there are things that simply couldn't be couldn't be said yeah. so much was under the surface and you know brushed under and I think you know that's part of the reason why Jackson locates the sinister you know all the darkness is so often it's located at home because yeah. I think that's where she found it in her own life with her mother apparently her grandmother was kind of crazy too um her grandmother was a a a practicing christian science christian science healer who seems to have actually done christian science healing out of oh wow (laughs) (laughs) so like that and and shirley told her children's stories about like her brother getting sick or i think breaking his leg and her mother and grandmother just praying over for days, right? I oh, guess. I mean, the God. details are unclear, but whatever you know, whatever it was, was was frightening to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it was not. Um, it wasn't a healthy childhood, but you know, it contributed to her sense that danger lurks at home, and you know, even in nice, genteel-looking atmospheres. Yeah, I mean, she just she's someone who just I don't know. She just lived on the fringe, kind of. She just. just through and through the way she I, I just can't imagine living a life and not ever feeling maybe her ki- children gave her that sense of home and comfort mm-hmm. and to some mm-hmm. extent maybe but just feeling so alone and not supported in anything and I, I mean I guess that's maybe why she drank and obviously and took the amphetamines and and everything you know, she didn't feel, she, you know, socially she felt awkward and she didn't fit into that kind of um, her husband's world of the, you know, being a professor's wife and having to go to functions and, um, and or any part of like social, you know, living. It seems like she, she just didn't fit anywhere. And right. I mean, it's not like she was for you know most of her life in fact there are wonderful stories about um the parties that she and stanley threw and Mm -hmm. you know they did have these um circles of intellectual friends from his circle at the new york 
around Bennington College, and you know they have not with all kinds of people like mm-hmm. Ralph Ellison and his wife, and the literary and the critic, Dylan Thomas story. Dylan Thomas, right? <laughs> uh, the literary critic Kenneth Burke and his wife. Um, they were all close to both Shirley. Mm-hmm. And they had lots of friends from college. I think part of, you know, they were isolated in Vermont, but they always they were always having people come up and stay for the weekend and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I think, you know, what, the larger thing you say is true that even in these um, verified literary and intellectual circles, she did she did always feel like an outsider wherever she was. And she was searching for that that perfect friend, that perfect confidant, you know, the person who would, who would really... Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and also, you know, in, in the literary world, too, her not kind of fitting into what, um, you know, what, what her constant, I mean, she was criticized a lot and dismissed, her work was dismissed and you know, being called, you know, Virginia Werewolf and things like that. <laughs> um, why do you think that there's a, and, and her, maybe it was because you, you go into certain things because um, she wrote about, you know, she had female main characters or something, or or her looks maybe, that she didn't look like Sylvia Plath. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a component that she didn't kind of play the publicity game that they wanted her to play, and, you know, she didn't have... She was a witch. publicity (laughs) pictures, right. Instead, she described herself as a practicing amateur witch, um, which got her... Wasn't the same kind of attention, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, but yeah, you know, I think in a lot of ways her books kind of slip through the cracks because they're so difficult to categorize. You know, each of her novels is in a um, if you know if you can say they're in mm-hmm. a genre. Right. Um, they're all very very different from each other, and then her household memoirs are even uh, you know on a, on a different plane even from those, and so I think just didn't know what to do with her like like her mother they're trying to make her fit into some kind of um preordained mold and that just that just never worked for her she Mm -hmm. has to be understood on her own terms very unto herself i mean (laughs) exactly yeah but i mean she 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 gained recognition in the horror world um i think i think uh well stephen king wrote about her right that's right yeah. Um, do you think, this is that when her kind of popularity began, people started looking at her work more seriously? Or not that Stephen King is a serious, <laughs> taken well, no, serious, I mean, but, no. you know, in, in the popular kind of lit world. It's interesting. Um, I, you know, I think, it, I, I don't remember exactly when Stephen King published that Dance book. Macabre, Dance right? Macabre, right? I think in yeah. the late 70s, maybe yeah. early 80s, where he describes... Is, I think a perfect novel. Yeah, but I mean that book actually was very popular during her lifetime. As was we have always lived in the castle. Mm-hmm. I believe that they were was both a bestseller, the right? List. They both yeah, were. I think so. Okay. And you know, the Haunting of Hill House, of course, was made into a very popular movie that did well and got her a lot of of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like she was unknown right. during her lifetime. I think her popularity kind you know, peaks and ebbs. Mm-hmm. And some of that is circumstantial, you know, that she died young at 48, mm-hmm. um, having completed, you know, only six somewhat, you know, some mm-hmm. You know, she never wrote a big epic. Right. Um, 
she and and you know to further complicate things Stanley Hyman died only a few years later and before he had been really devoting himself to keeping up the flame he produced an anthology of her work um, he was promoting her um, but after he died there wasn't really anybody left her you know the children were quite young mm -hmm. and couldn't really keep up her legacy the way the way he had and I, I think really that's that's why she fell into obscurity for a while mm -hmm. when the lottery became so successful she she kind of retreated from that you know she didn't bask in the glory of anything she was you know she raised the price of you know the reprinting of, right or if you she didn't want people, and, they, and the people were paying the price that she raised it to. Um, but right. she, for the rights. For the rights, mm -hmm. yeah. So, right, she was concerned, <laughs> rightly, that um, she would become known only for the lottery. So she was trying to find a way, you know, to direct attention to her other stories. Yeah. I mean, what do you think it is about the lottery that she didn't want to be known for? I mean, what, why do you think that is? Or, or was it just popularity in general? Or what, what, was, what do you think it was? particular work I my sense is that as she felt like the lottery had stirred up a kind of notoriety around her that it, it wasn't just popularity per se mm -hmm. but it was that especially in North Bennington where she was living when it came out there was kind of an aura around her that she had written this creepy story and it was probably in some way about North Bennington <laughs> although said all kinds of different things about what it was about and was very non-committal and just that that it it took over and dominated her reputation and I think you know that she she was very aware that she was a multifaceted and multi-genre writer and she resented being pinned down by any particular thing I think maybe especially one that felt so dark and fraught and also the lottery isn't representative stories as you know mm -hmm. it's it's just kind of something different mm -hmm. um, you know and then many of her stories are you know much more closely about human psychology you know the a, a distinct a distinct what happens to her almost always her whereas the lottery is is a group portrait um, that doesn't really get into any particular person's psychology or circumstances mm -hmm. um, Thinking it was, you know, about women and you know how they're targeted, and um, but you know, as I, I, I don't remember who said it, but it could have been, you know, the lottery could have been about a man. It could, have, it was random selection. A man could have been selected for the lottery. Um, theoretically, theoretically, <laughs> she didn't choose a man, but could have been. Um, so yeah, so her relationship with women, especially through her own anxieties in her novels, you know, and witchcraft, mm -hmm. let's say. And she had an extensive library of occult books. Exactly. Um, she read tarot cards mm -hmm. um, for people. So there was, yeah, I think as much as she made a joke about being a witch, an amateur witch, and saying she wrote with a, a broom. Not, not with a pen, but a broomstick. Right. Yes. <laughs> that that maybe there there was something serious under there. Do you something think she to, to be to call herself a witch like really do you think she was 
I think she didn't want to be pinned down by anybody as any particular thing, period, whether it was a debutante. She, mm-hmm. didn't, she didn't want to be in the category. But I think what you say about, um, you know, about working, working through things um, in her stories and with the idea of witchcraft, you know, whether she brewed up potions in her cauldron or not, witchcraft is an extremely powerful metaphor mm-hmm. for the idea of female power and men's fear of it. And I think she absolutely, absolutely, to channel that in her work mm-hmm. yeah and writing about women the way she did and everything is um she i don't know if he, how back then they didn't use the word feminist right, right. they really didn't it use it pre- um but she she was right she blazed away for a lot of writers right she was before her time yeah. in in a lot of aspects i think that being one of them mm-hmm. i mean career she called herself a writer when she checked into the hospital to have her baby Mm -hmm. not a not a homemaker and the witchcraft and the power and you know I think she exercised that in her writing or maybe power back because it was taken away so much I mean her with her mother and her husband and her family and her Mm -hmm. kids and her obligations that was power was taken away and she that was her way to kind of regain some of some power yeah exactly I think that's a great insight and you know as to the question of whether she was a feminist it's you know it's tricky to say I think if she were sitting here with us she would reject that label right (laughs) right um she would reject the label again I think because she simply didn't like Labels. labels and because feminist meant something a little bit different than it does now but you know if the question of a feminist? Did she write feminist works? Um, you know, I've been accused of having a feminist agenda in my book because that's an element that I bring out. But you know, I, I don't think that I created it. Thing that that comes out of her works, and I, I do think whether she intended them, you know, as a political statement or not, and it's quite clear that in fact that she didn't mm-hmm. intend to be making any kind of political statement. Um, the act of writing as she did is a feminist act in that it is so focused on women's lives and women's individuality and particularity and the way she lived her life was feminist in that she she insisted on for herself and her creative genius in a world and a society and a milieu that did not support her yeah where did that come from where did that come from because we were we were you and I about how we would be paralyzed if we yeah. got this the criticism that she got in her lifetime. Yeah, I mean we had shitty lives, and we, you know, we, we weren't were, very supported, but we weren't say of a failed abortion, and it wasn't that cruel, kind of yeah, yeah. you know. And and I mean, I don't know where that came from within her to produce these works and to, you know, that drive. Really falling strong. into depression and maybe it was witchcraft yeah I um, mean <laughs> but, yeah, but I mean, you know, she did yeah. fall into depression periodically yeah. it wasn't like she was superwoman right but she kept constantly coming out of it I mean but she, that's also taking 
because her husband said it's just automation when she writes. It's right. not even it's giving like her credit for turning on the faucet for that. Right? Yeah. Right. No big deal. Right. And yeah. it wasn't. You know, yeah. when you look at her drafts in her archive, you can see that there's a difference between the short stories and the novels, and that often with the short stories, she did just write them straight out, just first and then, draft. <laughs> and she made changes. She yeah. made revisions, but they it wasn't extensive. But mm-hmm. with the novels, it was a totally different story, and. Is, um, you know, you have a lot of, of sympathy, but also I think a lot of it's sort of uh, validating to see that even Shirley Jackson, you know, had many false starts. And the, for instance, the beginning of We Have Always Lived in the Castle, she wrote, she wrote over and over from, you know, first person, third person. Mm-hmm. The whole character of Mary Cat was totally different in an early draft. Um, and it was that way with all the novels. It, it generally took a long time for her to her way in she had to keep persisting at it yeah um, she kept she kept stuff that wasn't that wasn't finished or wasn't complete and a lot of it you know some of it is what you see published in these volumes that came out after her death some of these are stories that for whatever reason to try to publish during her life or that she just didn't finish mm-hmm. um but um but a lot of them I, you know i think she was a tough critic of herself because a lot of them really are very good but again that was the heartbreaks of the process of writing this book was seeing in her files she got all these letters from women who wanted to be writers and and she kept them like she kept clearly so much of her stuff I hate to say everything because of course you don't know what she went mm-hmm. through it out but it, it sure looks like she kept basically every letter she might ever have gotten from anyone and over and over again there are these letters from, from women who read her pieces in you know ladies home journal or and they wrote to her saying, um, I, I, I came to think of them as the I don't know how she does it letters, because I'm sure you guys remember that novel from, I don't yeah. know, 15 years yeah. ago yeah, about, yeah, yeah. about the working mother. Letters <laughs> um, were variations on, like, I want to be a writer too, but by the time, you know, the kids get to bed and I've cooked whatever I've cooked and my husband, I got my husband his cigar and I'm just so exhausted. How do you do it? How do you? And, you know, sometimes she wrote back to these women and she would write things like, you know, I mean, one thing, one piece of advice she always gave was that, you know, she was constantly thinking about her work, even when she wasn't sitting at her typewriter. She was constantly trying to put things together in her mind so that by the time she was able to go sit down at her desk, she knew what she was going to do and she wasn't going to waste her time. Mm -hmm. And her children also talk about seeing her in the kitchen um, you know while she was cooking uh, or whatever just writing little notes on her notepad and she told people quite refreshingly not to worry too much about um, cleaning the house <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. seems certainly to have been something she never worried too much about mm-hmm. yeah but you know the sadder part of the story is a, a lot of the way she got done was by taking amphetamines um, you know which, which she was prescribed like in the 50s as a diet drug mm-hmm. and you know obviously many people discovered that they had other qualities as well yeah well so so and she also had limited time on i mean when a typewriter with stanley she had limited time he was that was his office he you know he was the person he was the man and he was working if he was working it would be you know surely with the kids 
she'd get an hour success, right? She was still, she was the one responsible for the household. She was, you know, had to get, make sure he had everything he needed. I mean, eventually, they did, I think they only shared a typewriter early on. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, she did have her own typewriter. But, um, but yeah, she was responsible for everything. And you say even after her success, but I think, you know, she was the breadwinner. She was, and she was the breadwinner. Yeah. Um, But it was, it didn't conversation that mm-hmm. Stanley might have shared shared responsibilities with her mm-hmm. and I think obviously that is the major way in which things have changed and that you know I think it's 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 I that guilt though I mean I, I'm a mother and a writer and I still you know I feel that guilt that I should I need to be the one to make dinner and I need to be the that's probably just me but no uh, I think that guilt there that mother guilt you know still you know that that stereotype that that image of the ideal housewife is very strong Mm -hmm. right yeah it persists on some level yeah you know like when i when i had my first child um almost 14 years ago um the the opt-out stories were the ones that people were talking about how you know suddenly all these educated women chosen to leave their jobs and were staying at home and right. it, you know it seemed very this this was a kind of a, a powerful pressure mm-hmm. that like you you know you had gotten your education and you wanted to have your do your intellectual work and yet you know there somehow there was still this societal expectation that in fact despite all that you still really ought to be at home i think also too where we grew up in you know the app and you know now Trump land um, that you know that's what was expected of you and that's what you did and mm-hmm. that's who you were that was your identity and it didn't matter what else you know you, like my writing was kind of you know yeah. thing but yeah that, I re- really relate to her on, on that level and I, I, I'm speaking of Trump I land I she's important and I know she wasn't political but she was in a way I mean she you know Writing for the Spectator, she and her husband, um, you know, equal rights and right for their college magazine. For their college magazine, yes. yeah, and um, that she was working with Stanley on, and um, you know, the segregated. Yes, correct? she did. They did take strong political, strong positions against segregation, against racism of any kind. Um, that was something she always felt strongly about, and also discrimination against gays. She and Stanley, I think, unusually had a number of gay friends um, whom, you know, they were open about socializing with. Mm-hmm. I think she wouldn't have called those political positions. Mm-hmm. I think for her, they were just more... Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, and, and also the uh, this sort of brush with the FBI and the Russian, the communism. <laughs> <laughs> and, how, and they were moving, right? They were moving to Westport... <laughs> such a great story it's yeah. a great could you please tell it? <laughs> yeah so it almost didn't get in the book because um it took forever to get those fbi files as i'm sure you can imagine i filed i don't even yeah. remember when i filed my freedom of information but it took a, about two years from wow. the time i filed the request to actually get the files and it only happened because i started begging the people at the fbi to expedite it and somebody infected me and so yeah, I got the files arrived like 
you know, when at, at a very late stage um, of the manuscript writing. And um, I had been eager to see them. I got confirmation early on that they did for Shirley, um, but they, they did have a file for Stanley's. And I w what I was looking for was confirmation of what kind of communist activities he um, participated in in college or possibly also school years and like if I could get confirmation on when he officially left the Communist Party and that stuff because he was involved you know as many students were um, in the late 30s and early 40s he was involved with the Communist League I think it was called mm -hmm. um, and what I found was a big surprise because there wasn't anything about that stuff at all um, what there was was details of an FBI investigation undertaken starting I believe in 1949 when as you said Shirley and Stanley moved to Westport Connecticut and I hear if it was 48 or 49 and as the story in the files they had this big moving van and indeed from the way Shirley described the move um, it seems like there was uh, an entire moving truck that was devoted just to their books so that's why they had several thousand books uh, maybe five thousand books and as the story of the file went, um, one of the boxes fell off the truck and broke, and inside the box was all kinds of communist material. And this was re reported to the FBI. So, you know, if the one of the movers was an FBI informant, which would have seemed like a good place to have an FBI informant in those days, you know, if this was some kind of setup, or if the box really did just happen to fall off the truck right. or whatever, but kicked off the, at the investigation, and in the files were transcripts of interviews conducted by FBI agents with their neighbors in Westport and people back in North Bennington, people on the faculty college where Stanley had recently been fired, their landlord, you know, and lots of stuff is blacked out, so you can't see exactly what it is. You know, you don't know who these people are, but I could read all the testimony. Um, and it was all basically the same, which was people were like Stanley, but they didn't think he was a foreign agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't like him. <laughs> um, which, you know, which seemed about right. It would be a nice like, epitaph for him. Right? They were like, he's a jerk, but he's probably for the government. Yeah. And in fact, the FBI eventually seems to have taken this position and they closed the case. But, you know, what's so rich about this is, I mean, a couple things. First of all, it's simply description that the author of the lottery in fact had her neighbors spying on her <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? right no yeah. wonder she wrote that story yeah. um, but you know more than that there was this kind of strangeness um, that she felt in Westport she felt paranoid there she was living sort of incognito as mrs. Stanley Hyman many people didn't know that her you know that she was Shirley Jackson the notorious lottery and she was kind of um she was chagrined when she was accidentally outed by her son when a publicist came to town looking for her and uh, her son announced that um his mother <laughs> was also Shirley Jackson and there was an article in the newspaper about it and everything like Shirley Jackson living among us in Westport <laughs> mm -hmm. um and so and there you know there are manuscripts um their dress where she the unease she had um, living in Westport before, which they, they only lived there for a couple of years before deciding to go back to Vermont. 
And I noticed that, um, that she took those out of her, the final version. Uh, I believe it was in Life Among the Savages where she talked about that. She took out the references to her unease. And I wondered if it was because she had some kind of inkling that there was this investigation going on. You yeah. know, it, no wonder she felt uneasy. Her name mm -hmm. Yeah. But it also shows you the, the incompetence of the FBI agents who didn't even figure out that Staley was a registered member of the Communist Party. Right. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> probably suspect because they had so many books and exactly. maybe they were selling right that was part of what it was they couldn't believe that anybody could have so many books for private use and they thought that they, they that the hymans must be like a party literature and we're selling it or giving it out right. and not actually reading right their book collection is um it, they ended up with 20 or thirty thousand books at the end of their lives something Come like that and that's what they, you know, spent their money on. Yeah. And, and they often didn't have a lot of money um, through their lives, right? Um, that's right. As yeah. a couple, and and I find that I find that fascinating, like the, the struggles and how they, but they did have money for books. You know, they did make well, that, that was money their priority. for books. Yeah. It seemed like even when they didn't have that much money for food, they were still buying books. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean. The, collection um it's sad know? actually i mean a lot of their stuff just got dispersed after stanley died and i i, I think the books were just sold yeah um, yeah so it's, it's a shame there's there's no definitive record exactly what was in the collection no no uh, archive which, mm. yeah there's a there's a list um an incomplete list in stanley's archive but there's nothing because he was a real Order, yes, orderly he was a person. real collector. At one point, yeah. he tried to make a catalog of his letters, uh, uh, you know, of the letter, you know, of mm -hmm. his own files. He did try to make a catalog of their books, but I think it was too much. Getting on staff. Did you go through his um his? I did all yeah. of his stuff too, it, which was offsite, right? Like she, Shirley's, uh, all of her. What, how how much? How much? How many boxes did they? Is Explain what that. Yeah, they each have an archive of around fifty boxes, mm -hmm. and the boxes are um, your standard um, library file boxes. Um, it doesn't. It's hard to say how in terms of pieces of paper because some boxes like would be literally stuffed with folder after folder of letters, whereas other boxes would contain maybe one large scrapbook um, because Shirley liked to make these scrapbooks. Um, and press clippings and oh. letters she received from friends and stuff like that about um, each of her early books. Mm -hmm. She stopped doing it eventually. But um, I wonder if Stanley was irritated when he went through her things um, after she saw how many letters she wrote and wasn't, you know, selling an article. She was just writing this person um, letters because he was he, he that would that would irritate him if she was using her time and her her writing time uh, to just write letters to That's people. Right. It was something he complained about her doing. And it's something she couldn't sell and he, you know. Right. But when, I mean, when she was them afloat, it seems like maybe he could have cut her some slack if she wanted to write her friend a letter. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would think. 
Yeah. <laughs> that was interesting to me, how she was, you know, sort of secretly, you know, having to hide it from her husband. Yeah. yeah she, he's having all these affairs and, you know, doing, living his life. And she's secretly, you know, having to write letters to people um, to, to, you know, for correspondence and not to sell to a magazine. Yeah, I mean, it does tell you something about the balance of power in that relationship. I mean, at the same time, it was a complicated relationship. And I, I think that's part of what makes it so interesting, right? He wasn't just a villain. And... Um, I, I tried really hard to understand what made their marriage work as well as what was... That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, you asked if I went through um, and part of what kind of clued me into that was reading his youth, the files of his youth, like his... Mm -hmm. I looked at, like, his high school papers and um, his, his college stuff. And I was quite charmed by them. Uh, because he was so, he was so brilliant and brash, and had such a strong writing persona mm -hmm. from such a young age. Really, like at fourteen, he was writing these very book reviews, completely confident of his own judgment. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> wow, like there's something just awe-inspiring about yeah. that. Like you can say, oh, it's so conceited. Only a man like, could do that. Could do that. But like, <laughs> right. it's also sort of beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that you as, can see you know, why she was attracted to that exactly mm -hmm. but like also as this 14 year old kid from Brooklyn whose parents were not intellectuals in any way like where, where did, did he that come it? from exactly where he did she come from either yeah and I think that's something that did attract them to each other that they both had essentially created themselves and yeah. you know and they needed each other to support their own you know their own and they did that for each other very well. I mean, he, need, as, a, as a critic, he needed the creative genius who he was going to, you know, support and explain to the whole world. And, you know, she was the creative genius who needed this, this critic, you know, prop her up and right. be her supporter. Yeah. And I think there were times when that, that worked really well. And also, like, you know, I think maybe something that sometimes doesn't come across as much is, like, Stanley was brilliant. And, you know, the kids have many very fond memories of him and, you know, funny stories about him. And, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to focus on his villainy, you know, his philanthropy or, um, you know, his domineering personality or just, or, you know, just the fact that he made her, made her slave for him. Right. In the yeah. way that she did while he lived, you know the intellectual life that he mm -hmm. wanted and but at the time that, that was that was but at the time he had you know he had every reason to expect yeah, that right and um and in many ways he was good for her mm -hmm. they stayed married for 25 years did um did the, the children ever meet their grandparents yes both sets of grandparents would come and visit periodically they yeah the children about Shirley's mother, generally. Okay. <laughs> they, I was curious they back up her, her perception. Well, the, was it Joanne that went to stay with her for a yes, summer? And then she, at the end of the summer, um, Geraldine sent her all oh, of right. everything she spent. 
on Joanne. The, you know, the bikini. I bought her a bikini. You know. Oh, my God. And Shirley sent her a check, right? Unbelievable. It's unreal. Yeah. She couldn't pick up a Shirley, bikini for her own cheap this but surely just sending her a check without saying this is your granddaughter you know like surely just sent her a check you know it's, right because i guess i guess at that point she like, knew there wasn't any point in saying right wow how cheap can you it's unreal yeah but i yeah i hear mm-hmm. you <laughs> but i mean you know and, and also like her even being with stanley was rebellious even though i don't know how her mother thought she would who she would marry Right. But um, ending up with a Jewish man. Um, totally scandalous. Totally. Yeah. And she didn't talk to her dad for, what, two or three years? She but, didn't even tell her parents that they got married when they did. It came out only came out when she got pregnant. But for years, Shirley's parents didn't know when their anniversary was. I think she had given them a fake anniversary. And so they were sending anniversary <laughs> gifts for the fake anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> just made up her life the way yeah she created like a witch she conjured her life Mm -hmm. including her age right Mm -hmm. you know she famously took three years off her age i think not just out of vanity that she had married a man who was years older but because she was trying to erase these three painful years that she had initially at the university of rochester before she came to syracuse and met stanley she had this kind of disastrous um early where eventually she had a breakdown and flunked out of college, possibly not in that order, and had these kind of lost, had a lost year that she spent at home. Um, oh, I just she moved back in with her parents, exactly. right? And, and right, she started off at the University of Rochester, which her parents seemed to have wanted her to do, um, so they could keep an eye on her because that then by that point they had moved to Rochester. She attended for, I think, almost two years, but flunked. I think she flunked out in the middle of her second year and wow. then spent a whole year at home. Well, do you think that was due to depression? Or? I do. Yeah. yeah. I think there may have been a suicide attempt. Okay. But it's not. So she had these three lost years, and I think, you know, when, when she deleted those years from her birth date, I mm-hmm. think... That, it may have, that she may have just wanted, wanted to pretend that that whole mm-hmm. Rochester experience and she had sort of started over. So she she battled mental illness, I mean. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't, she didn't, did she go to therapy? She did. At the time? end of did her she? life, she's, I, I think there are a couple occasions on which she saw a therapist. Um, there was a breakdown she had um, during the writing of The Bird's Nest mm-hmm. in the mid-50s, and then a breakdown, another breakdown after, just after We Have Always Lived in the Castle came up. And mm-hmm. that's the, she became agoraphobic and wasn't able to leave the house for a period of time. And then she kind of got, she was getting well again. Exactly, she recovered. Yeah. Yeah, I think many people think that that's, like, that's how she died. Right. You know, shut up in her house. Agoraphobic, and I, I in fact, was surprised to discover that that wasn't true. Yeah. She had recovered, and she, in fact, went on this big lecture tour. Right, I mean, that's amazing. Which she read from two different novels. Yeah. So I feel like that makes it doubly tragic. To go from agoraphobic to reading in front of people. Exactly. You know, I mean, that is... Yeah, it must have required so much strength. Yeah. I just... I sort of... You, you mentioned, did she know? Because she she went to visit people that she hadn't seen 
in a really long time, um, like a sort of farewell tour. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, you know, diagnosis um, that, that you came across? Of mental illness? Of mental illness. Not that I came across. I think my sense is her diagnosis was anxiety. I'm just wondering because her work is so, I mean, I can't get over how she creates these multiple personalities yeah. so f- fleshed out mm-hmm. that there's their reason that she may have suffered from that. Um, yeah, I don't think she did suffer clinically from what we would call multiple personality disorder. I think what she was getting at in those works is that in some ways everybody has, has multiple personalities. Like on some level, she's you know she is the housewife, but and she's also the writer, and she's also the witch, and that's just how people are. Yeah, right? this is the human condition. Is we all have these different different facets, and sometimes one has the upper hand, and sometimes another one does. Why did she, you know, towards the end? Um, I mean, she, she. I don't think she ever, you know, courted the spotlight, but want to appear in any publicity photos and anything of that nature do you think it was because of self-esteem issues or what do you or or because probably was self-esteem issues yeah yeah she hated doing radio interviews she had one just kind of disastrous interview um with somebody who like hadn't hadn't read her book and had no clue about it and i think she was quite disdainful about Mm -hmm. it and I, i i tried to find um of that and wasn't able to um, and as far as I know the only recording of her voice that exists is a recording she did for Smithsonian Folkways of the lottery and the demon lover there you know there are pictures of radio microphones but I was never able to find Interviews. any recording wow um, yeah and, and and she you know famously never went on TV mm-hmm. it would be so useful to the biographer yeah <laughs> That's what I was wondering too, as I was reading this. I mean, you're you're you know you really take each one of her works really and what's going on in her life at the time and who she's corresponding. It's sort of like you you had all of this at your disposal and you didn't. I mean, this was just like boxes of archives that you had. You didn't have you know um, yeah the ability to organize this. It to edit what you you know thought was important and needed to include is um it escapes me because I <laughs> really I mean really I this is this book is brilliant and yeah. it's you know Shirley Jackson book I mm-hmm. think of you know now you understand who she was at right. the moment she wrote you know the bird's nest or yeah. sundial you know you knew what she was going through you knew what you know what kind where she, her Really, um, and it, it, it's really a, an exceptional biography. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear you say that because I mean that is really what I was trying to do. As I as I told you, what I'm what I'm most interested in is where the books come from. You know, even though you're never quite able to answer that question, you know, because it's it's magic in the end where the books come from. You know, I I tried I tried to create the to recreate the circumstances around the books. Yeah. Well, genius job a brilliant job of that thank you but yeah I, f- I feel like it, it it became clear to me at some point during this process that um 
like the biggest challenge of biography is just figuring out where to put everything and that like the one that out the book would hang together yeah. but it was just like where are all the little odds and ends gonna go mm-hmm. yeah. and you it took you six years correct it to, did yes start to do. finish it was for six years yeah, yeah. I mean I know other biographers you know spend 10 or 20 years doing biographies but right. <laughs> um but six years is a long time to be dedicated to you know a topic and that fascinates me I never found her less than fascinating yeah that's I, amazing that you didn't you know resent her or fall out of love with her or her biographers do yeah um and that must be hard um mm-hmm. and and kind of and I don't know I always found her I always found her fascinating. I mean, obviously, I didn't always love what she was doing, Mm -hmm. um, but I always found her interesting. So you as a critic, what what is your favorite by her? I mean, what is, is, are you able to say? Yeah, I mean, I, really, it's The Haunting of Hill House. It's, it's a a struggle between that and We've Always Lived in the Castle, and I know that book also has its very passionate partisans, um, and I'm curious. How, where you guys stand on that? Yeah, I, um, but for me, it's the haunting of Hill House, which I think is just I'm, I'm the haunting of Hill House. Book. I definitely, I, 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 also, I just love. I, I just feel like I, I got a lot of who that book and what she was going through, and I don't know. I just, I that book. That's probably my favorite. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I see. <laughs> you know, her waking, Eleanor waking up, and you know, but Maricat and holding. That dual, yeah, <laughs> both sides of her really. Yeah. I mean, I got I got a lot out of that, yeah. and her. I mean, and she she liked the sundial, right? She liked sundial. Is that her? Yeah, but I think being kind of provocative. Oh, do you think? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, thought, I found that really interesting. Yeah. I was like, wow. I mean, yeah, she yeah, she did say that. It's it's her funniest book. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, you're trying to say who is she really you know and she's throwing you off the trail constantly that's right it seems um with her maybe she was just trying to figure it out herself herself, who knows but i don't know could be that too yeah (laughs) i think it's more i think she 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 was i I don't know do you find people looking to you for answers Um, (laughs) sure yeah even her own children probably (laughs) in some cases (laughs) (laughs) because no one knows than you do right I mean yeah and it's really funny, you know as I hear you saying she wanted to throw people off the trail I'm thinking again like god what did I think I was doing trying to write a biography of her <laughs> it is exceptional <laughs> yeah. yeah no but I mean what what made me think that I'd be the one to I'm glad you didn't out, think you know? about maybe it I'm, yeah. maybe I'm off the tree she threw me off the trail too and she's sitting somewhere looking down and laughing at us all <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. This uh, podcast, we usually end with a strange woman throwback. Um, (laughs) I guess yours may be, I'm guessing. I don't want to go out on a limb, but Shirley Jackson. for me so, some ways um so so we just you know we, we just asked maybe that you explain kind of how she kind of plowed the way for you being a book critic and being a writer and why you would choose her gosh it's funny how hard, could be an oud player hard it feels <laughs> to articulate that um i mean 
which makes me think maybe Shirley Jackson isn't okay. Good throwback, yeah. um, but um, but I guess she is. I mean, certainly. I mean, yeah, I'd have to say that Shirley Jackson is definitely among the strange women, at least who I find most inspiring. Anyway, simply because of the way that she seemed to manage manage it all, you know, the life with children and the creative life and the big bustling house to somehow, you know, come out of that with, um, with her genius intact, her creative vision for, for the books like, you know, the, her books like The Haunting of Hill House and has lived in the castle somehow remains very coherent and true to herself. Yeah, in some weird ways, it's it's like a weird Rocky story, you know, her <laughs> story, you know, that's coming from her mother and her husband in the house and the, everything and the mental issues, the mental illness and the depression, you know, it just, it's, it, she's, she's an inspiration. She her way out of it to me. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. That's write it away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I really appreciate um, it. Yeah, we love your book. And, and everyone, we um, we would recommend that you follow Ruth Franklin on Twitter, Facebook. Yes, correct? Uh, Ruth Franklin Books on Facebook. And ruthfranklin.net is your website? That's right, yeah. So check it out. And also, um, don't just get the book. Don't just get the in a rather haunted life which is get out in paperback now right now out in paperback also get the audiobook because i love listening to that audiobook i've listened to it twice already and oh. um yeah it's something i i enjoy mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I really i really enjoy it so anyway check that out and thank you so much thank you